Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Good evening! Uh, It's so good to be back. Uh, So good to be able to come before you once again. You know, it's so good. It really honestly feels so good to be back. And I really honestly mean that. It's not just something courteous to say or the right thing to say. For those of you that are wondering, well, where you been, Pastor Nestor? Uh, well, COVID hit the Flores home. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, we didn't have to deal with any big issues other than uh, some headaches and body aches and uh, some fatigue. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, we're, we're all okay and we're going to be okay uh, You know, we quarantined ourselves because we didn't want to pass on the virus to anybody else. And uh, also because we wanted to let our bodies uh, fight it off. Uh, But we're so grateful. And we just want to say thank you on behalf of my wife and kids. I want to say thank you to everyone for your encouraging text messages, for checking in on us. For those of you who offer to help us run errands or buy groceries or the things that we needed. I'm so grateful for the prayers for those of you who constantly call called and or text and said that you were praying for the love that you've uh, demonstrated to us you know we we truly are blessed to have such wonderful and loving people around us now i know that there's still some uh dealing with covid in our church family and uh you know i want to say to you that we're praying for you and that if you need help we want to help I really mean that we have a wonderful community. We're not a, a numberless community, but we're a community of people who, who are willing to help, who are willing to bring you maybe dinner or help you with some groceries. So if you need help, ask. Don't be too proud. Don't be too ashamed. Ask us. Let us help you. We're not able to read minds, so we would love to help if you are dealing with COVID or in the middle of it or coming out. You know, uh, I also pray that uh, you're staying focused and strong during this fast. We are in the middle of our fast, uh, and although we were dealing with COVID, we decided that we were going to fast, and we've been fasting. We're going to face obstacles, temptations, and even we're going to have, we're going to find plenty of reasons to cheat and or quit. But listen, let me tell you, don't do it. Don't give in. Don't give up. You can keep going. Make sure that as you're fasting, you're spending time with God, that you're talking to God. If you need some help with this, we have a devotional booklet that Dan put together. It'll help you to with some scripture reading. It'll help you with some prayers. It'll help you to write some things down. If you haven't joined us yet uh, or you already gave up, come on, get back on the horse. Get back. You know, fasting is not easy, but it's worth doing. Fasting is putting God first and all else second. And and that's not easy. But that is necessary for those of us who are Christian. And that is something that when we do, transforms our lives. So I want to encourage you to stay strong. And hopefully you make plan to join us this Saturday as we gather to pray corporately. And on Sunday as we gather to worship 
and encourage one another. What do you say we pray and then we jump into today's message? Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are with us. Father, I, I, I pray for every single one of my brothers and sisters who are fasting. I pray that our fast would be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for those that are sick, whether with COVID or something else, or dealing with a difficult issue, Lord. I pray that they would sense your presence and that your presence would make all the difference in their situation. Father, as we go into your word, speak to us. Transform us. Redeem us. Change us, Lord. Don't just inform us that this may not just be a, a religious thing we do, but that your word would really impact the way we are, the way we think, and how we live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, I want to encourage you to get one. Um, I would love for us. We're going to do a little bit more of a Bible study today. And I think that uh, you'll like to highlight a few things on the scripture that we're going to do today. And what today, what I want us to do is that we're going to explore how the gospel, specifically the image of baptism, helps, helps us to reach Christian unity. We're going to talk about how the gospel, the message of God, and specific baptism can help us reach unity as a Christian community. You know, everything today appears to be a dividing issue. From mask wearing to the role of police to, to our race and even church, whether we should be attending and how we should be attending church. All things in our day seem to be things that divide us. And you know, unity as, is a Christian value. Unity is something that the Bible clearly teaches. So many in the spirit of Christian unity, they do their best to love those they disagree with. They do their best to be around those that think completely opposite to them. But if we're honest, I think we end up tolerating each other more than we do having unity with one another. And the gospel, the gospel calls us, the gospel equips us not just to merely tolerate one another, but to actually live in unity with one another. The gospel provides a theological structure to help us embrace each other as Christians and brothers. Even, listen to me, in the midst of such polarization, even when there's so much that can divide us. And I love how the Apostle Paul would look at the gospel for answers to life's issues and life's hard, hard questions to Paul and to us. The gospel provides clarity. It provides direction. It provides truth. It provides values. And it also provides orders. And Paul would often look to the gospel to be able to answer some of life's difficult issues, to be able to answer some relational challenges. And uh, one, of, one of the most clear examples is Paul's letter to Philemon. I don't know if you knew that there was a, a letter, a book in the Bible, an epistle that Paul wrote called Philemon. And in this letter, Paul writes to a fellow Christian named Philemon. Now, this fellow believer named Philemon um, was a good friend of Paul. They were partners in ministry. And it was very likely that they had met in one of Paul's missionary trips while Paul was in the city of Ephesus. Now, apparently, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And Onesimus wronged Philemon and then ran away. And then he escaped. 
and Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, ended up meeting Paul in prison. And in this process, and in the process of, of meeting Paul, he became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and also a co-laborer with Paul. So Paul writes this letter to Philemon to ask Philemon to forgive and take and welcome back Onesimus into his house. Now, let me stop right there. That's a big ask. That's a big ask because you're talking about an owner and a slave. And you're talking about in a culture where, where, where slaves were not equal, were not treated as equal human beings as owners. But yet Paul asks Philemon, he says, I want you to not just forgive Onesimus, but I want you to welcome him back into your family. Now, why should Philemon, I mean, Paul can ask this, but why should Philemon listen to Paul? What, what, what grounds, what authority was there? Well, Paul uses the relationship he had with Philemon to intercede and to ask on behalf of Onesimus. And Paul uses his status and his relationship with Philemon to make such requests. And Paul says to, to Philemon, he says, treat Onesimus as if he were me. And what he owes you, whatever he did to you, whether he stole something to you, destroyed something that belongs to you, he says, charge it to me. And Paul even throws in a little, um, you know, he says, he says, and even after you do, I'm sure we're still not even. In other words, there was more that Philemon owed Paul than what Onesimus owed Philemon. And see, Paul was doing this. Paul dared to ask this because that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is one of reconciliation. It is of God reuniting the world to himself through Jesus by forgiving us our sins and not counting our transgressions on us. But the gospel of the message, the message of the gospel is not just one of reconciliation, but it's one of fellowship. And fellowship is equality before God, not just communion with one another, but communion with one another made available because of our equality before God. And you know, before God, whether humanly speaking, one was a master and the other was a slave, they both stood on equal ground, on even ground before God and before each other. And they stood before God as equal brothers and sisters in Christ. So see, that's what Paul did. He would look at the gospel for answers to life's challenges. So my goal today is to show you how baptism provides a theological framework for helping us not just to tolerate, but to embrace each other, to gladly and generously embrace one another in the midst of so much diversity that leads to so much disunity. There's so much disunity in our nation, in our families. And come on, let's be true, even in our church. And see, baptism communicates to, listen to this, this is key, don't miss this, okay? Baptism, and we're going to look at that, communicates two, two distinct, in other words, they're different. They are different, and in some ways, they're even opposite. They are distinct truths that are distinct, but inseparable, these things that, the, that baptism teaches about the gospel, these two truths are distinct, 
but they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible, would you open it with me? Romans 6. We're going to start at verse 3, and we're going to read all the way to verse 8. We're going to read all the way to verse 8. Romans 6, 3 through 8. Look at what it says. And I I have my Bible here with me as well. I'm reading off the New Living Translation. And look at what Paul writes to the church in Rome. It says, Or have you forgotten... That when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And look at verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Do you see the two truths? Were you able to catch them? The two truths that... That baptism teaches about the gospel? Pastor, what are those two truths? Well, the two truths that baptism communicates and teaches about the gospel is the dying with Christ and rising with Christ. And Paul talks about it as he talks about baptism. Have you ever wondered why God chose baptism as a ritual for the Christian faith? Well, that's because baptism proclaims the gospel story of how a person dies to sin and is raised to new life. In baptism, we go underwater as a sign of our union with Christ in his death. And then we are raised up out of the water as a sign of our union with Christ in his resurrection. Baptism is a sign of conversion because it is a picture of what happens at conversion. Baptism, let me say that again, that's good. Somebody ought to tweet that, somebody ought to post that. Baptism is a sign of conversion and if, you, and if you're a believer and you haven't gotten baptized, what are you waiting for? There's nothing to wait for. If you've placed your faith in Christ and you've decided to follow him, you need to get baptized. You need to let us know. And even if it's one person, we'll baptize you. But baptism is a sign of conversion because it is a picture of what happens at conversion. We die to our old life and we are born again into a new life. So baptism then preaches two core truths of the gospel. And what are those two core truths? One, That we must die with Christ to our sins. But that we must rise with Christ to the newness of, uh, to a new life. See, in baptism, we died with Christ because we need to acknowledge that we have been born, that we live in a world that is tarnished, that is broken, that is ill with sin. It is a damaged and broken world. And we get baptized because we acknowledge that we, need a, that we need to be saved from this condition. That we need a gracious power that is greater than the one we have. And a, a gracious power that is able to fix the problem that we can't fix. Our greatest problem, which is sin. 
But baptism isn't only a statement about sin and, and the condition of our broken world. Baptism is also a statement about the hope of Christ for this world, of the hope that awaits this world. In baptism, we express faith that God's resurrection power is able to fix what's been broken in this world and in our lives. That the broken world that is will become an all things new world created by God. See, our whole life should be spent living out these two truths. Our whole life. By the way, that's the, you could define sanctification in these two truths, in these two practices, dying with Christ and rising with Christ. And it's something that we continually need to practice in our lives because we're never going to be done dying with Christ to sin in our life until the final resurrection. We're never going to reach the fullness of the newness of life in Christ until the final resurrection. And as we go about life, as we go about our journey with Christ, some moments will call for us to die again with Christ. And there's going to be other moments when the Holy Spirit is going to call us to rise with Christ in victory. Now, those two truths, and you remember everyone, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with unity? Well, let me get to the practical aspect of it. I wanted to set a foundation, a theological foundation. Now, let's get practical. For most of us, because of our personality or our life experience, the way we've lived, we lean, we tend to, to lean more easily to one aspect of the gospel over the other. Let me tell you what I mean. Some are really good and identify and emphasize the dying with Christ. And others are really good at rising with Christ. They, they, they lean to that. They gravitate. That comes natural for them. And listen, let me tell you that while it's not ideal, it's natural that we would do this. The church, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, is composed of, of many diverse members. And some of us, we're going to lean towards the dying for Christ, and others, we're going to lean towards the rising for Christ. In fact, I want to challenge you, if you're watching this live as it premieres, I want to challenge you to type on there and be honest with yourself and with others. Which aspect of the gospel comes more natural to you? Which truth do you tend to lean more towards? If I'm honest, I'm more of a die with Christ than I am a rise with Christ. Now, here's what you need to know. If you've already said that, this is not a time to judge and, and criticize each other. No, no, no. I just wanted to make it a little bit fun for us. And, and, and here's, let me continue to get practical with this. Now, depending on which aspect of the gospel resonates with you more, certain Christian values will also resonate with you. Let me explain. If you're one of the dying with Christ type of Christians, if dying with Christ is the gospel truth that resonates more with you, well, then you're more likely to come to terms with the truth of this world. And that truth, it's that it's a broken world full of sin. And dying with Christ compels you to focus on the reality of the world in all of its brokenness. 
And because the truth of the matter is that our world is broken and that we are broken and because we are prone to our sinful nature and we're prone to move away from God's ideals, well, then you, you, you conclude that we need rules and that we need justice to hold us accountable to those rules. And that you also assume and, and conclude that we need to follow Christ in the path that requires sacrifice. A path that we need, in, that we need to endure it through obedience in suffering. And it requires self-denial. It requires saying, not my will, but your will be done. And you may also be prone to, to feel that, that we need to embrace individual responsibility. Just like we will on that great judgment day, well, it will just be me and God. And you also very likely have the value where you feel we need accountability. We need accountability in the community to help us stay on the right path, to help us stay on the narrow path. And we need tough love. To die with Christ, you need tough love. Now, some of you, you're very good at dying with Christ. And these, these Christian virtues, they, they kind of reflect the way you go about life and your faith and the, thing, and the way your faith impacts all the areas of your life. Let me show you that list of uh, Christian virtues for those who are more of a dying with Christ. Uh, uh, the, those Christian virtues are truth, rules, justice, sacrifice, endurance, self-denial, individual responsibility, accountability, and tough love. But others of you, you're more prone, you're more lenient to the rising with Christ. That's where you feel at home. And if you are that kind of person, well, then there's different values, Christian values that are more prone in the way you go about life. And when you think about what it means to be a Christian, you think about kindness. You think about the freedom that you have in Christ and the gracious fairness that God has extended to you and that you want to extend to others. You think about how the gospel has empowered you and to be everything that God has called you and created you to be. And you think about the spiritual healing and the spiritual joy that comes into your life because of Jesus. And you think about how the community of faith has to come together to assist those in difficult circumstances. And you, as you think about Christ and your faith in Christ, you, you think of compassion and you think of tender love. Compassion and tender love that God has for His children. Now that, those virtues describe some of you or at least describe the preference, the values that some of you have because you're more of a rising with Christ type of person. Let me show you that list of values once again so that you may see it. The rising with Christ type of individual uh, values kindness, freedom, fairness, empowerment, healing, joy, community assistance, compassion, and tender love. Now, let me show you both truths, both gospel virtues side by side. Let's look at them. Look, they're going to appear on, on the screen. On one side, you have... The first gospel truth of dying with Christ. And those of us that are more lenient towards the side, we tend to gravitate towards the Christian values of truth, uh, rules, justice, and so on. And on the other side, you have the rising with Christ. 
right? And, and they tend to, to gravitate towards the values, the Christian values of kindness, freedom, fairness, empowerment, and healing. Now, do you see how distinct they are? No wonder we're so different, right? No wonder. No wonder. I mean, on one side, you have tough love, and on the other side, you have tender love. But here's what we need to remember. Here's where it gets practical. We have to remember that both aspects are truths of baptism and the gospel. That both aspects are true, are distinct, but that they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Not in the sense of the fullness of the gospel. You need to die with Christ to rise with Christ. And if you rise with Christ, it's because you've died with Christ. And let me tell you something. Listen to me, church. We need both sets of Christian virtues. They are distinct, but they are inseparable. They were meant to go together. If you are the type of uh, truth Christian, well, then you need to be mindful of kindness. If you're more of a freedom type of Christian, well, don't neglect the need for rules in your life. If justice comes more easily, well, then work on fairness. Don't just sacrifice for others, empower others. Don't just try to heal suffering, learn to endure suffering through obedience. Don't, don't just get good at denying yourself, learn to enjoy the joy of Christ in your life. If you tend to focus on community, well then don't neglect responsibility. If you find it easier to be compassionate, well then growing your capacity to hold others accountable. Listen to me, church. Both are needed. If you're more of a dying with Christ type of Christian, you also need more of rising with Christ type of virtues. And not one in itself is complete. There were both men to go together. And see, this unity happens. Division happens because we refuse to see the other aspects, the other virtues as truth. And because we are not willing to, to work on what doesn't come natural to us. Let me say this in very simple terms. We cannot, and I am afraid that in many cases, we have become lopsided. We've embraced one side and denied the other virtues. See, we need to embrace and live out both baptismal gospel truths. And we need each other for this. This is where the gospel truth brings unity. Because we need each other for this. In order, because we tend to lean to one side, we need each other to be able to balance each other, to be able to challenge, to be able to sharpen one another. See, I have strength and spirit-enabled impulses that you don't have. And you have strength and spirit-enabled impulses that I don't have. And you can teach me how to rise with Christ and I can teach you how to die with Christ and we can do that vice versa. And together, listen, together, as we learn to die and and rise with Christ, we become a whole. 
a mature church, a mature body of Christ that is united. And that's what we're missing. That's, that's what I wanted to look at today. How the gospel, the truth of the gospel, can equip us to have true Christian unity. Now, in our relationship as a church family and even as human beings or Americans, it's not always easy to know which baptismal truth should take priority on certain situations and circumstances. There's going to be times, and this is where much of the arguing and division happens, because you have those who will say, no, we need more truth. And then you'll have those who say, no, we need more kindness. You'll have those who say, no, we need more tough love. And then those who will say, no, we need more tender love. We need more individual responsibility. And then you'll have those who say, no, we need more community assistance. Well, you know, as a parent of three kids, in trying to do the best to raise them to be the best they can be and to be all that God meant them to be and for them to be good uh, Christians, it's hard to know as a parent when you're talking about raising your kids, which gospel virtue to use in certain circumstances. It's hard in our parenting life. So it's a lot harder when it involves public or church-wide or nationwide issues. You know, I'm sure as a parent, uh, you've probably been in that case where you say, you know, we need to be able to show our kids their freedom in Christ. And maybe the other parent says, no, we need to be able to teach our kids to submit to the boundaries of Christ. And that's, that's where a lot of the division happens. So what do we do? We do two things. One, we accept each other. We accept each other even when we disagree. See, we need to remember that we are coming from different Christian values. That while one sees truth and the other sees kindness, it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong, but that we're just coming from different points. We're valuing or we're leaning towards a different Christian value. And let me tell you, church, that it is possible for two godly people to disagree and think differently. It absolutely is. You may disagree with me. And that just proves the point, you know? But we need to accept each other. And second, we need to honor each other. If you're true, if you're a true and legitimate Christian and your, your impulse comes from a true and a legitimate Christian value, but it leads you in a different direction than me, even if you think that I'm wrong, well, we still need to honor each other. We need to honor those genuine Christian impulses, those genuine Christian values. We accept each other, and we honor each other. And we honor each other by not dismissing each other's true impulses, as sub-Christian or not even Christian at all. See, we need to honor both truths of the gospel. And the truth is that we need to die with Christ and rise with Christ. 
But the truth is also that our nature leads us to lean towards one more than the other. That there's one that comes more natural, that is more appealing to us. And when we differ, we accept one another and we honor one another. Let's be gracious to each other. Let's be accepting and honoring of one another. You never go wrong when you honor others. I believe that our church and our churches are filled with great people. But they're just people that often think, vote, live, value a little bit differently than we do. So church, I pray that in the middle of so much division, in the middle of so many polarizing issues, that we would look to the gospel to guide us in how to not just tolerate one another, but to be able to be united with one another. I encourage you to continue to die and to continue to rise with Christ. Let me pray before we dismiss. Heavenly Father, I pray for our nation. Father, our nation is divided. And the hope of the nation is not a political party. The hope of the nation is not a political individual. The hope for the nation continues to be Jesus Christ. And as a church, because we are the body, because we are the household of God, we become the hope for our nation. Lord, as an old preacher said, we cannot expect unity in the White House if there's no unity in God's house. So may it begin with me. May it begin with us. That the unity, Lord, that ought to describe, that we want to see in our nation, may be the unity that ought to describe your church. Father, help us to accept one another. Help us to honor one another. And Father, help us to work on that other side of Christian virtues that don't come so naturally, that don't come so easily for us. Father, we pray for our president. We pray for the president-elect. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those in authority. We pray for our nation. Lord, I especially pray for your church. I pray that the unity within our church community would be what transforms our nation and our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, I love you. I hope to see you Saturday for prayer. If not, on Sunday, come join us in person. Let's worship the Lord. Let's encourage one another. Be safe and may the peace of God guard your hearts and mind and may his joy be your strength.